On this week's episode, we welcome our panel. I just find it so shocking that the 72-year-old who Chinese could go into this dance place and kill people 50, 60, and 70 years old and was trying to go to another place to kill but was, was, was up apprehended and his firearm was taken away from him and then the coward kills himself. What is it about this situation that we're unaware of? Our song, the, the continued lack of information on what, what really occurred and why. I don't understand why it takes this long for some, at least some initial accurate information to come out on the circumstances of this attack. There, there's got to be some reasons that are very clear to the police by now, yet they sit on information and they try and put out stories that by time, all that does is create doubt and uncertainty in the public. And it's, it is a horrific incident. and. We, we know as little now, really, as when we first heard about it yesterday. And, and factually speaking, if somebody else wants to do this, literally, there's not much you can do to stop it except what that young man did, put his life on the line because he thought he was going to die and take that gun away. And this happens in these gun-free zones. Out of the, out of the, over the last two years, uh, where these massacres have taken place, four out of five, with the exception of Uvalde, Texas, has come out of these gun-free zones. What needs to change? Armed citizens with concealment I, carry? What, what needs to change? The founders figured this out long ago. You, you have to defend yourself. That's why we have the instruments, the legal instruments, to do just that. It's not a, a knock against the police. The police re response times in enormous metropolitan areas like California, they are not instantly there. When you're in, in a situation like occurred in that facility in California, when that begins, you are by yourself, you're on your own as, as with your friends that are there with you. The police are not some magical thing that are just gonna save you every time evil visits you and people have to be prepared to deal with things there and we've always been that way but in the past people would react quickly and try and help and there was more armed people in the streets in older days in america but you, today these things repeat because the situation the circumstances for these things to occur have yet to be addressed sam fattis charles mcgonagall uh, he led the counterintelligence for Peter Strzok for the Russiagate investigation. All of a sudden, he's been accused from taking what we're being told, a quarter of a million dollars from a Russian oligarch while he conducts this kind of investigation. And we have no idea how much money he has taken. And obviously, this investigation, and the fact that somebody was on to his behavior and his corruption just didn't start within the last few days or so, when they, the Justice Department made this announcement? No, it didn't, obviously, Armstrong. I mean, this kind of thing, the result of an investigation that's been going on for a long time. And just because he's now been charged with this does not mean that this is the full scope of involved uh, in This is incredibly damaging, incredibly concerning. Uh, New York Office is 
this builds off this guy. You're the head of intelligence there, plugged into everything Bureau's doing, everything CIA, probably, probably everything our intelligence is doing from a counterintelligence perspective. So you've got a guy in there taking foreign money. This is a huge deal. It's not just him pocketing stuff. It's about God knows how much compromise to national security. Um, how damaging is this for someone who's carrying on a counterintelligence investigation for the Justice Department and being compromised on the payroll of this Russian oligarchy? Well, it's incredibly compromising, and it also just gives you, right, it gives you a huge insight into the fact that Here's a guy who who was involved with with all of this stuff, um, and you got you get a glimpse not just of the compromise, but obviously of his character. Uh, so it says it says something really bad, not just about him, but uh, about the rot at the top of the Federal Bureau of Investigation that you have a guy like this in a position of this kind who, who is engaged in this kind of activity. It, it'd be really hard to over overplay the damage that we're looking at and, and the scope of, of the damage. I mean, this guy, this guy could have compromised God knows what. And this is the man who the American people were relying upon, right, to tell them the truth about national security. You know, it's very simple. If you can be bought, you can be sold. You know, Cash Patel, um, you are a prosecutor, <laughs> national intelligence. You know, what's very interesting um, about the investigation of the declassified documents that just continues to show up. Mm -hmm. There's no raid on the Biden home. They, they, there was on the Trump Mar-a-Lago. Documents just keep showing up everywhere. You know what I'm curious about is what was the source of the revelation of these classified documents, and could it be tied to Hunter Biden? Because from what I see, this is my perspective, not only as a broadcaster, but in oftentimes an investigative journalist, it could have been Hunter Biden sharing these documents with his Chinese contacts. Uh, with his intelligence community from Ukraine and Russia and other places. There's no focus on him. And also, when does the criminal target, which happens to be the president of the United States, gets to dictate the investigation? <laughs> uh, it's great to be with you, Armstrong. And quickly on the last one, never, but I'll circle back to that. And you're right. I think from a former federal prosecutor standpoint to an intelligence standpoint, that's what this is. This case is the intersection of national security intelligence and federal prosecution. That's where Joe Biden sits on the mishandling of classified information. And I don't believe for one second, and I never had, that our librarians at NARA are the ones. If we are to believe the narrative put out by the White House that in November of 2022, a week before the midterms, the librarians notified the DOJ and said, please investigate the current sitting president for mishandling of classified information. That's not their job. That's not how the FBI and DOJ, especially when I was there, ran investigations involving national security. This, in my opinion, was an ongoing branch off, an offshoot of an investigation. 
And Hunter Biden's laptop had been something that the FBI and DOJ had had for years, literally, in their possession. And what we do is we say you have to exploit, pull out the data from the laptop, and that just means electronically. And what I think happened is, and what we're going to learn from the new subcommittee in Congress when they start issuing subpoenas is, the origination documents for the FBI are going to show that they were investigating Hunter Biden's connections to China, to the CCP, to Russia, to Ukraine, etc. They were also investigating Joe Biden's connections via his son. All that information was on the laptop. So investigatory 101. I would have sent my FBI agents out to every single location that Hunter and Joe and his lawyers and staff had ever been sitting for the last decade because they knew that information covered that time period. And Joe's brother. And Joe, whoever else was on yes. there. Yes, okay. And we are going to find out that this investigation did not come from librarians. It came from the FBI and DOJ's exploitation of the Hunter Biden laptop because good investigators still exist and good investigators said, hey, we need to go look at this stuff. But the cover-up began when the Biden administration said, hey, NARA, please have this referred to DOJ. Why, nobody's asked this question or answered it publicly from the White House, how is it that the Joe Biden administration was able to say, please go look here? How did they know to go look there? And how come they're still looking? Turning to your second question, when I was a public defender, I represent some pretty bad people, murderers, rapists, drug dealers. Never in my wildest dreams could I go up to the FBI and DOJ and the prosecutors and said, hey, I'm gonna go to the crime scene, the bank, you know, the drug dealer den, the home of the raid, and say, whatever I find, then I'll bring it back to you, and you can then tell me what to do next in your investigation. It's the total destruction of justice. There's no due process there. But for me, it just shows you, and I don't care what your politics are. You could like this guy or that guy or hate him. There's no two-tier system of justice in America. And this case is showing us that for exceptional people, there are. And Merrick Garland just came out today of the Attorney General of the United States and said, Specifically, he is treating this case as he would any other case. I mean, he's literally out there lying to the American people, and we can see it. So, Sam Faddis, you're the first person we had on who literally has gone through the Hunter Biden laptop. You've gone through it. You've seen the damning information. You've been talking about this for years. Follow up on what Cash just shared with us about the, the origination of this source, not some librarian, which I don't believe either, but obviously there was something on that laptop that did not trigger it a few weeks ago, or six months ago, but maybe a couple of years ago when it was first revealed and they realized it was serious. Yeah, well, look, in addition to the horrifying photographs and video and all of that garbage that's, that's, that's on the laptop, right? Um, what there is an absolute mountain of evidence that tells you that we should have some very, very serious concerns, particularly when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party, about the extent to which they have penetrated uh, and now are in control of very, very important people in the United States, including potentially Joe Biden himself. So I, I would say that Again, you know, and, and I'll be the first guy to say that if you conduct a thorough investigation and it turns out that none of that is true, I'll be the happiest guy on the planet. I'm not wishing to find out that that is accurate, but that's what we're dealing with, that possibility. This case ultimately is about espionage. It's about intelligence operations, not just about getting sloppy with documents. I mean, let's start with this. Some of these documents apparently from Joe Biden's time in the Senate. 
Okay, just, just to focus people who have no experience with this. During that time, he would have looked at classified information inside a controlled space known as a SCIF, which was not part of his regular office as a U.S. Senator. He would have had to go to a controlled space to view those documents, and they never would have been carried out of that space with him. That's procedure. That's normal. In other words, you would have had to have had a very intentional action, potentially a whole series of actions, to carry classified information in violation of all those rules and procedures out of that controlled space, and then to store it, keep it um, in violation of all those rules. And I'll just throw this into the mix as well. We need to take this very seriously. You find a dozen documents yeah. lying around and however many documents yeah. were sitting at the Penn Biden Center, which is good God awash in Chinese Communist uh, Party money. That doesn't tell mean if we're actually conducting an investigation for real, that those are the only dozen documents that ever went to the Penn Biden Center, does it? That just means those are the ones that are still lying around there. Mm. So if we are conducting a real national security investigation, like we would with anybody else with this kind of access, the first thing we would be thinking is, good Lord, are these only the ones that are left that never made it to their intended destination? So we sh all I'm saying here is don't assume that this is, let's not minimize this, not, let's not assume the best case scenario. That's not how you conduct an investigation, apparently, when, especially when the stakes are like this. You assume the worst case and you run everything to ground. You pull no punches. If it all turns out that, hey, there's no significant compromise here, then fantastic. As I said earlier, I'd be the happiest guy in the world, but we can't just assume that. Can I comment on yeah, that real yeah, quick? Yeah. So that he brings up a great point that no one's talking about. The, the disclosure to the media and the world has been, in my opinion, as bad as the cover-up. And what I mean by that, as a former deputy director of national intelligence, who's been around classified intelligence that Sam had most of his career, they're saying to us, for instance, Armstrong, oh, they found six sets of documents minimizing the number six, as if that's important to the American And then CNN's headline, fewer than 10. But here's the thing. As an intelligence official, one set of documents could be a 1,000 pages long. Wow. One set. I have never in my career seen, I can count on one hand, the amount of one page, one set classified documents I've seen. Usually, per set, they are voluminous documents, especially when you're talking Ukraine, China, the CCP, and Russia. So again, we are seeing a different standard of justice, not just internally at DOJ, but the presentation to the American people, us, who they're supposed to be accountable to. They are telling us in slow leaks, two sets here, three sets here, and they are not telling us, more importantly, where else is going to be searched, and they're not talking about the search warrants that should have been issued on day one for every single place of the last 15 years that these documents have floated around in the wild and to every single person who ever touched them because every one of those instances is a separate felony, not against Joe Biden, but against the people who didn't have the security clearance and who didn't store them in the appropriate vaulted facility, skiffs as we call so, them. So I gotta get, I gotta get um, John Keyes in on this, but you know what it sounds like you're saying? Because all we hear in the media Ah, oh, the president is cooperating. <laughs> oh, the president is being transparent. It's as if they're setting him up to just say, oh, there's nothing here. There was no intent. Joe Biden, this was innocent. Let's move on. 
I think you're right. I think what they're doing is they're taking a page out of the Hillary Clinton email saga playbook. When James Comey went to the podium, when it wasn't his position to do so, and created a legal fiction that said, oh, Hillary Clinton was reckless, so we're not going to prosecute her. Let's put aside the fact that that's not the FBI director's decision to make. It's the attorney general's. When you look at the law, this is one of the few crimes on the books in the federal statute that does not have an intent requirement. Why is that, your audience might be wondering. Because the mishandling of national security classified information is so severe, when Congress legislated this law, they said, if you misplace it, even by accident, you are guilty. Because they don't want classified documents out in the wild. And what they're doing by saying Joe Biden is cooperating and allowing Joe Biden to go to the podium, the biggest podium in the world as the president of the United States, and saying, I didn't know they were there. I never touched them. They are setting up the reckless trap again that they exonerated Hillary Clinton on, which is a legal fiction, and we can't allow them to do that. John Keyes, how much is the Biden family enterprise compromised by the Chinese and the CCP? The key question on, there's so many questions that are not being asked. Cash has mentioned that in an earlier segment. There's questions that can be asked and answered that would give a framework of the seriousness of this without it compromising the actual substance of whatever these documents are. What are the dates on these documents? Some of it they say back when he was a senator. What are the subject lines? And most importantly, are they copies of documents or are they how classified stuff like this is actually delivered to a skiff by a courier that's coming to the Capitol or, or any government location where they're carrying material that's going to be viewed by someone who's clear to see it, but it's in a different facility. The, the actual substance of the documents, the classified, the real classified parts that could expose sources or methods is not something the public needs. But they need some context because now it's just this hypothetical discussion on a classified document. They don't answer the questions. And as was mentioned earlier, these are every one of these actions is a criminal potential criminal charge because someone had if it's copied someone copied it on a copy machine. If it's a document that was an original document, the violations pile up, pile up about improper transport or improper storage. If there are copies of it and what the subject line is, is, is it material that is extremely important? Because if you have the dates, you can compare visitor logs. So if you've got a bunch of stuff in Biden's garage and in Delaware, and the dates coincide with visitor logs of Chinese business officials, that's a serious piece of information that doesn't do anything except embarrass the people involved. And you cannot use the classification system of the United States government to prevent embarrassment of public officials. That's not part of it. Um, Fattis, uh how much are the Biden family enterprise compromise in their relationships with the Chinese? And also, who stood to benefit most from these classified documents? What value were they, and who was that value to? Right. Well, I would take my cue from, from Cash and take your, questions out, take your questions out of order. I mean, the answer to the question of who benefits from this the most would depend on a whole lot of data that we don't have. 
like exactly what are the reports? I mean, what what are they concerned? And and for instance, they would not have to concern China directly to be of incredible value to the communist Chinese. It could concern another country where they're trying to get mining rights or where they're trying to get basing for their navy or 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 anything. So, you know, that question we can't answer. In terms of the compromise of the Bidens, I think they're totally compromised. And and uh, and I mean, you, again, if you if you actually wade through the contents of Hunter's laptop and then just really pour over all of the other information we have seen. You got Hunter Biden running around the world, clearly to use Giuliani's expression as the bag man for this operation. And he takes in uh, the operation being selling access to dad. And he takes in vast quantities of money like a vacuum cleaner and from nobody more than the Chinese communists. And I mean, good God, you have to really believe in fairy tales to think that money was not going to Joe and that the Chinese communists were not getting something for it. I mean, let's remember 2013, one instance, Air Force Two, they land in Beijing, Joe and Hunter, same plane. Joe goes to meet with the Chinese communists. Hunter goes off to the State Bank of China ultimately to receive $1.5 billion on that one instance in a relationship we know was sanctioned all the way to Xi Jinping. And now you're really supposed to tell me seriously that this had no influence. So we have, we haven't, they didn't acquire any degree of influence over Joe in this whole thing. I mean, it, that's kind of ludicrous to be honest with you. I, look, those are excellent uh, points from a national security and intelligence background. These guys really know what they're talking about. I'd like to bring it back to the law enforcement DOJ attorney general arena and the FBI arena for a second, because what we've heard at this investigation with our, with the global lens on us and most Americans paying attention now more than ever, is you have an attorney general who goes to the podium and continues to say, we will prosecute without fear or favor. It's one of their favorite taglines. We will uphold the traditions, quote, and principles, end quote, of the Department of Justice. <clears throat> that is all cheap rhetoric. I don't, the traditions and principles of your Department of Justice have been to destroy the Department of Justice and law enforcement. And when you come to the podium and say things like, we are prosecuting without fear or favor, that's exactly what you're not doing when you say we are going to appoint a special counsel who compromised the Russiagate investigation himself. And I know that from personal experience. This guy, Robert Herr, was Rod Rosenstein's number one attorney, the number three attorney overall at the Justice Department, and he blocked congressional subpoenas from being produced for documents to show the corruption at the FBI and DOJ. Furthermore, he actually wrote an email, and we have it. That said, I do not, I, Robert Hur, the new special counsel, back then the principal deputy, did not want the Nunes memo on the Russiagate investigation released because he said, quote, it would harm national security, Armstrong. This is not a prosecution without fear or favor. It's a prosecution in fear and in favor of someone. And it is not upholding any traditions and principles that I knew from my time as being a federal prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It is destroying them. But when, they media, when you have a media who carries their water and takes these headlines, and it sounds really cool if you hear it for the first or second time and you don't dig underneath, then you're allowing them to get away. These government gangsters, as I call them, are getting away with 
and allowing the politicization and weaponization of law enforcement. And what these two gentlemen have talked about, the destruction and harm to intelligence and national security, is even more paramount than finding the criminal and shutting it down. Because now, 15, 20 years down the road, who has leverage over sitting United States president? Is it the CCP? Is it the Ukraine? Is it the Russians? What's in those documents? And who handled them back whenever they were released? These people, like the Chinese CCP, put on years-long campaigns to hurt America and American interests. Now we are to believe that they, for some reason, don't have leverage over the sitting commander-in-chief who has such close ties to the CCP through his son and such shady dealings of play for play. It is something that cannot be investigated by this Department of Justice. We will not receive a fair accounting from this Department of Justice. Maybe we have a shot if Congress can get the documents to the American people where they belong, like we did during the Russiagate days. But they've already seen, you've already seen Jim Jordan issue a, a letter and uh, I think a, a subpoena coming for these documents, and the Attorney General has already said, based on the principles and traditions of this department, we will not provide you with the documentation you have requested. So they got to get through that. Mr. Keyes, when we listen to the shocking, these shocking revelations and just common sense, why are we making Ukraine an American war? It's almost as if we're at the beginning of World War III. This has gone from a territorial war to a global war. It sort of reminds you of Poland of 1939. Why? What, are, what is America's interest? And can it tie back to these classified documents? Why is it that Biden finds himself not criticizing the Chinese, no matter what they do? What is it that we don't know as to why we're still giving these massive dollars to Ukraine? That's a great question, Armstrong. There's so many questions that tie back to the root of this whole issue with the public trust. I think the public trust is ruptured with this administration, and I don't believe that it is recoverable until there are other people moved and there's dramatic change in the way the system functions and operates. The U.S. public only has a, a well of trust that can be Lied, you can be lied to for a limited amount of time before it erodes, and I think we've reached that point now. So you, you have all these weighty uh, uh, circumstances and activities that are going on globally, and we're trying to sort through them all with an administration that is appears almost daily with revelations to be totally untrustworthy of the trust that the U.S. would put in, in their own government. I, I don't believe any story really that I get from the system, uh, assuming that the first couple of iterations are just going to be spin and lies, and then it'll trickle out like a leaky faucet. You might get some nuggets along the way, but it doesn't come out. And the, the whole situation with Ukraine and the global turbulence that we face, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm overseas now, and there is considerable anxiety in countries around the globe that I've been in recently, recently and on this trip, on what, where is the U.S. getting this stuff? We have foreign allies that have actually said to officials in the government, we cannot take this kind of ride with you. These wild swings of your policy between administrations 
is these are activities that we can't absorb in our countries, and we we cannot go on these crazy rides with you. You know, let us know what it is that you finally decide, but we've got to sit this one out. People are are, are afraid right now in many locations on what they see coming from the United States. You know, it, it, it is fair to finally get a true clarification on the difference between the Trump classified documents and Biden's. I think the American people are owed that, but I don't think we're going to get that. I think the media have a large role to play in the disinformation or misinformation or whatever you want to call it um, when it comes to the one versus the handling of the other. And, and the Department of Justice will say, well, we've got two ongoing special counsels, so we're not going to comment publicly. And again, I go back to what I said about the weaponization of the federal government subcommittee. To me, that's the only place the American people, us, you, me, our colleagues, are going to find out the answers to these but questions. But what, what do you know the difference? All I, what I know is what I see publicly. What I know is that they are willing to go and raid with full SWAT force one location in one instance, and then, as we talked about at the top of the hour, something that I've never seen or even heard of, the target of a criminal investigation who happens to be a sitting president is allowed to dictate to that very same law enforcement agency who conducted the raid on Mar-a-Lago how they are going to treat the multiple locations in the Biden world. And they haven't even been to the beach house yet. Now, just take this for instance, right? I know people might say you're getting into the weeds, but I don't think so. Joe Biden did not go to the house that was searched this past weekend. He went to his big beach house. Well, why was he allowed to go there? Are there any documents there? What happens next week when you and I are talking and we find out there were classified documents there? So then he was allowed to go visit the crime scene again of an ongoing investigation because this DOJ told him and his team in the world that it was okay for them to manipulate the investigation that was ongoing that they say they were carrying out without fear or favor? I just don't believe it for one second. And it, you know, people will criticize me personally because I was in the Trump administration. It's funny, I remind people I spent more time in the Obama administration. Um, and when it comes down to national security and law enforcement and intelligence, there's just black and white. There's no gray. There's supposed to be the way you prosecute, the way you investigate. And unfortunately, these two cases, what I'm trying to do, my mission is to show the American people the disparate treatment, whether you hate Joe Biden or love Donald Trump or vice versa, that in modern day America, our founding fathers and our constitution prohibit law enforcement from acting in a politicized and weaponized fashion like these government gangsters Chris Ray and Merrick Garland are doing. If we can at least do that and educate most Americans on that, then I think they'll be willing to listen to the documentation as it comes out. Charles Fattis. Yeah, well, in re response to your first question, I mean, again, we, we don't know because we we get so limited information. What we do know about the difference between the Biden and the Trump documents is that some of the media accusations about what was found at Trump's house are insane. I mean, they're ludicrous. They're clearly false. They claim that uh, we the nuclear launch codes were laying around on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. Well, I mean, you know, the inconvenient truth there to borrow something from, from Al Gore is those nuclear launch codes actually don't exist in the form that apparently the media believes they do. I mean, I'm not going to go any further down that road, but that's a something manufactured by Hollywood because it's really dramatic. So 
somehow fa fantastically the FBI found at Mar-a-Lago something that doesn't exist in reality and then half the media replayed that. So this is back to, I think, Cash's uh, persistent point, which is dead on, which is we nobody has any faith anymore in these investigations. Nobody has any faith in the Department of Justice. They, they absolutely see that there are completely different standards. And good Lord, can there be anything more corrosive to the foundations of a constitutional republic? I mean, it all rests on the rule of law and faith and a belief in the system. And when the average citizen doesn't have that anymore, then you don't have a republic anymore. Why, why is anybody going to believe in their elected officials or institutions in, in this environment. I mean, this is not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's an American thing, and we better fix it. So, um, Mr. Keyes, they're talking about America is sending its best arsenal, its best weaponry, compromising itself for Ukraine uh, and this growing war, and the fact that the Biden administration wants to commit more massive dollars tell that there's no end in sight for this conflict. It's only escalating. What, what are we sacrificing? What are we committing? I mean, you've got the Germans do, do not want to commit their highly sophisticated tanks. There's this debate going on here. Why are the Europeans so hesitant about being, going full throttle in this conflict? And the United States seems as though it's willing to throw everything at it. That's a great question, Armstrong, because when you look at all this this myriad of decision-making and stuff that's supposed to be in the pipeline to go, there doesn't seem to be any strategy on what is your outcome, what are you trying to achieve, and what is the impact on how are they going to use these platforms. When you look at the, the, the one that just caught everyone's attention was the Patriot missiles. I guess uh, Zelensky said he wants those. That's an array-style weapon that's designed as part of a strategy to protect locations or, or large areas and it requires a lot of missile batteries and a lot of people and a lot of effort to get that to work correctly so that you can use the weapons platform effectively if you send one battery out there that that gives him a one rack of missiles that's inside that vehicle that, and that that piece of equipment but what's the what's the strategy and then the tank issue is another very good question that's not being answered by anybody. We've decided to send, or the, or someone is going to send German tanks or Polish tanks. It's not like you're sending logistics vehicles where you can use trucks in any way and fashion that you want. T tanks are designed to be put together in operational units to fight, and they fight to protect each other with dismounted infantry and other instruments within the military. If you just send them tanks, to what end is that? And when I've looked at the math on some of this, you look at the amount of money, and then you look at the unit per unit cost, you can find a lot of this data online. It doesn't match up at all. We're sending equipment, but the pricing model of what they say when they throw out a number, ten another $10 billion, it doesn't match up correctly. So. What, what's the real thing? What what is the how much money is actually going? Are we sending cash in airplanes as well, or are we just sending equipment? And if we're sending cash, where is that going? And what are they using that for? 
these are all unanswered questions and we're supposed to just swallow this down and and roll with it like it's okay and it's not okay well the the one the, the answer to all of it is the defense industrial complex that's it. When I was chief of staff at the Department of Defense in the Trump administration, I took them on. I called all five CEOs on day one, and I said, we're not doing this anymore. Why do you think America keeps spending this? Why do you think Senators Lindsey Graham was just overseas and returned and asked for more tanks just today, more tanks to the Ukraine? Because the defense industrial complex controls Washington, D.C. as much as the lobbyists and the law firms do. It is a $100 billion a month enterprise in Washington, D.C. to crank out this material that pays for the lobbyists, that pays for the states and employees, that pays for these senators' fancy trips and Congress members, and that's why they go overseas. Let me give you one example. Sam, surface-to-air missile defense systems. We have given the Ukraine seven years worth of SAMs. What does that mean? If we built SAMs from now and for the next seven years, that's how long it will take America to restock our surface-to-air missiles that we have given to the Ukraine. And the defense industrial complex is an animal that nobody has been willing to take on um, from a macro perspective. And until we do, it will run policy like this and, and, and decision-making like this to send more batteries and more manpower. And I agree with you, Armstrong. I'll take it one step further. The Ukraine is a modern-day version of Afghanistan. And inside two years, you will see conventional American soldiers on the ground in the Ukraine because we are allowing billions and billions of dollars to go over there and instead of taking care of our veterans or our children or our health care, we're spending it there because our politicians are in bed with the defense industrial complex. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.